Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess a public service announcement and errata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that to. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called Original Practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods. You stay no longer, nor will you not that I go with you. By your patience, no. My stars shine darkly over me. The malignancy of my fate might perhaps distemper yours. Therefore I shall crave of you your leave, that I might bear my evils alone. It were a bad recompense for your love to lay any of them on you. No sooth, sir. My determinate voyage is mere extravagancy. But I perceive in you so excellent a, a touch of modesty that you will not extort from me what I am willing to keep in. Therefore it charges me in manners, the rather to express myself. You must know of me then, Antonio. My name is Sebastian, <gasps> which I called Rodrigo. My father was that Sebastian of Messaline, wh whom I know you have heard of. He left behind him myself and a sister, both born in an hour. If the heavens had been pleased, would we had so ended? But you, sir, altered that. Some hour before you took me from the breach of the sea was my sister drowned. Alas, the day. Lady, sir. For it was said she much resembled me, as yet of many accounted beautiful. But though I could not with such estimable wonder over far believe that, yet thus far I will boldly publish her. Bore mind that envy could not but call fair. He's drowned already, sir, with salt water. Though I seem to drown her remembrance again with more. Pardon me, sir, your bad entertainment. Oh, good Antonio. It, Forgive it, me your trouble. If you will not murder me for my love, let me be your servant. If you will not undo what you have done, that is. Kill him whom you have recovered. Desire it not. Fare ye well at once. My bosom is full of kindness. And I am yet so near the manners of my mother that, upon the least occasion, more mine eyes will tell. Tales of me. I am bound to the Count Orsino's court. Farewell. The gentleness of all the gods go with thee. I have many enemies in Orsino's court. Else would I very shortly see thee there. But come what may, I do adore thee so. The danger shall seem sport, and I will go. Hello, 
everyone, and welcome to Twelfth Night or What You Will podcast produced by Rose City Shakespeare. And today I am here with John Bean and Bridget Beauchamp, my co-hosts, and we are going to be discussing Act Two, Scene One, hmm. which takes place on the seacoast. And here we get to meet Antonio and Sebastian. So I don't know about you two, but before I really understood Twelfth Night, I almost felt like Antonio was one of these characters that was expendable, that you could just cut. I had always found the scenes between Antonio and Sebastian kind of confusing and puzzling because the, the way they were staged. Mm. And then as I got to know more about the play and I was reading about Antonio and lots of people saying, well, we think maybe Antonio's gay. We think maybe Antonio is in love with Sebastian. And I thought, well, you know, it, it's kind of a fad to look back in time and try to assign sexual identities to fictional characters written by a playwright who's been dead for 400 years oh, yeah. during a time <laughs> when sexual identities were not anything like they are now. And so I thought maybe it was a lot of hype. And then I really got to know Antonio and I went, oh my God, this poor man is so in love with Sebastian and whether he's gay, whether he's bi, whether he's pansexual, whatever, aromantic, whatever he is, he has very strong feelings for Sebastian. At what point did you feel like you got to really see who Antonio was? Were you smarter than me? Did you see right away that he was in love with Sebastian or did it take you a little while? Well, the funny thing is, the first time I really realized it was when we had, uh, well, we cast a woman to play Antonio, and she chose to play him like a man. And then it was all clear. Yeah, and, and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and our, actually, the running joke in our company was that we all we were like, forget Sebastian, forget Arsenio. We're going home with Antonio. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you, John? Well, um, I'm actually kind of with you on the early, early on. You know, uh, first, my first encounter with it, I was Toby and... Um, pardon me uh yeah antonio was sort of in that bernardo valentine that's mm -hmm. that's kind of how he ended up in that show like a stalwart servant mm -hmm. and not a lot of exploration there um but that was more actor interaction and that kind of thing and then the the first time i remember having really strong curiosity about antonio um it may have been as late as the movie mm. uh, that that really good one was kind of in that Russian era or the uh, um, I want to say Russian it was the Ben Kingsley mm -hmm. uh, all of that and so they had an actor that was sort of like a, a English Gerard Depardieu type he was very swashbuckling mm. for Antonio and I remember that that helped get the fires going in my head and then actually directing it um, mm. for me um, and it's, I've directed it a few times, 
since and each time has been radically different. Uh, but with the uh, thought and the understanding of, you know, the question of his devotion and the question mm -hmm. of his sexuality and what is the nature of that love uh, for Sebastian, especially framed by our knowledge of like Shakespeare's interaction with other young lords, mm -hmm. um, you know, his famous sonnet stuff. And, you know, um, that we know that somewhere in Shakespeare's can, you know, canon of world of possibility there, it's a bullet in the gun that he could be exploring that, you know? Um, but interestingly enough, in my two major productions that, you know, personally have done, uh, one, Antonio was a child and mm. the other time he was a wolf. <laughs> a child? A ch he was a young, uh, uh, he was like a, uh, the last time I directed it was a big, uh, production in the park and we huh. pull together all of the theater communities and we pull out um the, you know all these great actors sure. and, and they they rock it out and there's this kid uh this like, high school kid mm -hmm. uh, young uh -huh. like freshman um okay he, he's uh but he, he incredibly well spoken mm -hmm. um i think he's iranian um and he had this he had this nobility and and the dash yeah. to him and all mm -hmm. this but he was really capable of expressing antonio's love mm -hmm. um and it was in a yeah in a way that wasn't necessarily you know in uh, in alignment with all of the uh the personal romantic or mm -hmm. you know sexual gender depths of mm -hmm. the role but then the other time was at the uh when we did erotic Shakespeare, yeah, and that that was like way, way. And so we ended up having this wolf, and it was this whole pseudo sexual. Like, so it was a energy. furry thing at that point. No, not a. It was <laughs> no, it wasn't a furry thing. I'm not. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was nothing like that. I'm it trying was, to was, imagine this, John. Help me out here. Yeah, I know it's a little weird, man. It's a little weird. Looking like, back on it, I wouldn't make the same choice. Like original, <laughs> original concept into the woods, wolf. Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So it's okay. in those energies, and it's mm -hmm. also the canine sort of loyalty devotion thing. Mm. Uh, but it was like we had the beach was at night. Mm. Um, he was watching the shore, and there was the eyes from the bushes looking at him mm. that had been watching him this mm -hmm. whole time, mm -hmm. and kind of a protective thing. Mm. And so, and it got to this into this kind of boy and his dog vibe you know but not not as any kind of erotic that mm -hmm. energy right there was mm -hmm. uh so it wasn't a bestiality no no I'm, i would all. never okay would okay never. yeah was, that wasn't an aspect of it but uh but for it. some reason that did in that production end up going that way the guy killed it the guy i feel so bad for him in that outfit man he killed it <laughs> it was a swashbuckling you know and we would have this yeah. bounding through saving mm -hmm. it was very much an end of the woods style thing mm -hmm. it was yeah. kind of it was mm -hmm. yeah it was right into there well guys, I, guys it was a weird time but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even the 70s you don't even have that excuse well the actors were great though i mean I, it, it was really the energy was good i am not i am not what the hell are we talking about <laughs> not at all um denigrating the production or the choices <laughs> and i I think it really highlights some interesting aspects of love that Antonio does definitely demonstrate. And there are more kinds of love than sexual romantic love, obviously. And certainly hero worship, uh, you know, if we were lucky when we were young, there was somebody that we admired and would have done anything for. And if we were fortunate, then that person was kind and respectful <laughs> you know 
but there is the capacity to get hurt certainly when we're when we're very young and admire somebody and are willing to die for them and then that loyalty that dogs have is phenomenal and in fact in paintings and in allegories you know well through the renaissance and even medieval times a dog was a symbol of loyalty so if you see a dog in a painting or at the feet of somebody as a statue it means that this person was loyal and they had loyal followers that loyalty was an attribute that they had and so i i can see how that would be how that could translate to antonio in a production that, absolutely that, yeah that one was focused on the sort of different facets mm -hmm. of, uh, and possibilities of love you know represented um through the text and so that yeah that would uh ended up being and in both cases a much simpler representation of the relationship but uh interesting you know certainly visually interesting uh but I'll, I'll tell you personally it's a role that i've always been attracted to it's one that i've mm -hmm. you know i find myself circulating uh if i was just going to act in a thing the role i think shakespeare's rumored to have played antonio mm -hmm. and um it's a role that you know because there's such a, a contrast he's he's so loyal to this young man and yet a pirate of great yes. renown and, yes. you know with this with this huge reputation for danger and plunder and and you know has been in these battles with orsino and we get a real manly sense of, of mm -hmm. you know their history um and it's just so incredibly interesting all those sadly underdeveloped uh you know i mean i want the whole you know just because i'm interested in it i want the whole backstory and all that you know well i can give you that <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh my dear listeners you've just heard this uh this scene on the seacoast where antonio and sebastian are talking and uh antonio says well will you stay no longer come on you know hang out let's hang out and sebastian says nope i i got shit to do I Can have we talk about that opening for a sec. Yeah, yeah, please. I mean, it is a really evocative opening for for my dollar. It ties into you know the the second scene of the play with um, mm -hmm. Olivia and the captain, the wreck, or Viola with, and the know, captain. Obviously, yeah, with Violet, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a much more like staged thing. I don't know. There's something about that opening scene that feels like they're moving, they're exploring. You know, but this this is always to me, it's just the seacoast. And will you stay no longer? I, I've I've always felt like, I mean, is one is is he just waking up? Is he does Antonio want him to rest still? You know, I, I feel like we're back in time a little here. What do you feel like? Like we're like, is this right at the shipwreck or is this uh uh later? Mm. Um you know I think this is later. Mm -hmm. because he has to rescue him from the shipwreck and we know that he pulls him out of the ocean so he pulled sebastian out of the water at a time you know after the sea captain saw him riding the waves mm -hmm. so we know that this happens after that and then we also know that Sebastian and Antonio spend a fair amount of time at sea before they end up at Illyria. So this is 
sometime later, weeks, possibly months. It's really hard to tell. Time in this play is a little peculiar. But we know later that it's taken at least three months in between Act 1, Scene 1, and Act 5, Scene 1. So Orsino lets us know that. So we can kind of decide as directors and actors how long that interval was and how long Antonio and Sebastian had to to hang out. So I also think that one of the big um, things that this scene does is it sets up the fact that Viola is an agent of change and an active participant in the path that her life is taking, whereas mm-hmm. Sebastian is much more a person who allows things to affect him. Mm. That is that is very interesting. And so, that's that's so true. She really is that instigator yeah. on the island of... of mm-hmm. You know, she lands, she is grieving her brother, but she understands that that it, she has to move on. And he's like, no, nah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to wander around mourning my sister till I die. Thanks for saving me. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the pretty kid, you know, mm-hmm. he's used to. He you know. is, he's the golden boy. And he lied about his name, too. Mm-hmm. You thought I was Rodrigo. Well, actually, by the way, my name's Sebastian. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, and, and don't so, forget later on he takes advantage of being mistaken for another name. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, right there. Yeah. and that's a whole. <laughs> oh, Olivia, and we can have that. We will have that discussion later. Yeah. That's, that's I a mean, good this one. this scene sets up everything you need to know about Sebastian. It really does. Now, and here's the interesting thing about Sebastian. So, so Sebastian, in history, was a king of Portugal who died in the Battle of the Three Kings. And this was a battle, and please forgive me, historians, I don't remember which other two kings it was that were in this battle, but it's called the Battle of the Three Kings because all three kings died in this battle. And King Sebastian never married, never had children, had some very close male companions, (laughs) one of which may have been named Antonio. So Sebastian, as a king in Shakespeare's time, was admired because even though he did this incredibly foolish thing, like all along the way to the battle, his generals are pleading with him, begging him not to do it. It's a terrible idea. He was convinced of his own greatness. This was God's war he was fighting. He was going to be the king of all these three countries and live forever. And then when the battle started to turn and it was obvious that things were not going to go well, he stayed. He stayed and he fought until he died. And because of that, he was widely admired for his loyalty and his courage. And so the name Sebastian, when you read early modern plays... It's an archetype for an impulsive but extremely loyal and valorous young man. And so that, for me, redeemed Sebastian quite a bit. Hmm. Yes, he's impulsive, but he he does go by his word. And, and he's, he's the, the, uh, the 
he's that young he's got that young heroic you know I, antonio's not going to fall in love with someone that doesn't uh you know uh spark some of these you know traits um and also he's you know in this scene he he his his room his sorrow over viola and all that mm-hmm. such it's a great opportunity to mm-hmm. you know really dive into um his inner depths you know really get a sense of, of his value too mm-hmm. and he's he's honest in his fashion with antonio he doesn't just say yep i'm rodrigo bye he, <laughs> he says well actually you know i i hate to admit this but you know i've been lying because you know i i didn't want to whatever whatever his reasons are we can imagine what his reasons might be for not revealing who exactly he was to a ship full of pirates <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> kind of fair that's fair um sebastian and viola are both because they're twins they are also a stand-in for artemis and apollo because any twins in early modern theater can be a hark back to Ovid and the myths of Apollo and Artemis. And we know that both of them weren't real picky about gender when it came to lovers. And they were both ravishingly beautiful pretty much if you were a human being and you had the misfortune of meeting either one of them, you were in love for the rest of your life with these characters. And so that also kind of goes away to explain why everybody who just looks at them is just completely bowled over by them. They are supernaturally gorgeous. And so it kind of makes sense that this pirate captain would fall in love with this absolutely drop-dead gorgeous youth that he plucked out of the sea. So now, uh, moving down, Sebastian kind of upbraids Antonio for pulling him out of the sea Mm -hmm. and says, if you will not undo what you have done, that is, kill him whom you have recovered desire it not it's like if you're not gonna kill me sebastian has bad bad case of survivor guilt here Mm -hmm. and it's uh, i'm not making light of that at all it's real it's devastating and it adds a layer to sebastian that that we should appreciate but for years people thought it was unlucky to save people from drowning and as a result millions of people died who could have been plucked from the water because it was believed unlucky to save a drowning person and this was just as true in Shakespeare's time as it is currently in some parts of the world still believe that Uh, tragic tragic stories but we won't go there But the audience would have known that by Antonio pulling Sebastian out of the sea, that Antonio was asking for it. Sort of fate-wise. Fate-wise. So whereas to our sensibilities, the way Antonio gets treated badly is shocking to us because Antonio saved Sebastian's life. 
why is the entire play written as though that doesn't matter that has no weight it's because it was a liability it's because he should not have done it he went against the will of the gods and he brought somebody back to life that the gods obviously wanted dead or they wouldn't have dumped him into the the drink in the first place my stars shine darkly over me Mm-hmm. 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 exactly and sebastian is feeling that he's feeling that survival guilt doubly not only because he thinks viola is dead but because he thinks he was supposed to drown with her that that's what the gods wanted they were born at the same time they should have died at the same time antonio is messing with the natural order and sebastian loves antonio enough that he does not want antonio to suffer any more than he's already going to suffer because of him and then um you know antonio has bigger problems <laughs> because he has many enemies in arsino's court <laughs> and again I, i'm sorry what were you gonna say john no you go ahead, go ahead. um and again i felt like you know reading this the first time not really understanding any of this until i i'd done all the research that i'm just describing now but I really didn't understand what it meant for Antonio to be a pirate. You know, he keeps kind of hedging on it a little. Well, I'm sort of a pirate. I'm not really a pirate. I, I took some stuff. Everybody else gave it back. I, I didn't give it back. But, you know, I'm a pirate. <laughs> but when I understood about privateers and that the definition of a private really depended on which country the pirate was from and which country you were from. So, and Elizabeth was no different than any other monarch at the time in essentially having uh, official pirates or privateers whose sole mission was to go and board other ships and take their loot. I see you uh, nodding, Bridget. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, having a, having children who have fed since they were eight, we all were, were very knowledgeable about pirates in my house. About pirates? <laughs> nice. How great is that? In the pirate versus ninja controversy, I'm definitely on the pirate side we're because I am not sneaky enough to be a ninja and I like pretty clothes. So, <laughs> arbigar. But, yep, Antonio's a pirate. Uh, very possibly certainly gay possibly bisexual we don't know very possibly could be romantically in love with sebastian and could have had a sexual relationship with him and again my dear listeners however you want to frame those characters is wonderful and fantastic and explore those directions i am by no means saying that it needs to be this way all that said it's probably not a wolf. <laughs> I love the wolf idea so much. No, 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 no. No take back. You know what it was? No it was the physical, backs. it was the danger, you know? Antonio's kind of really the only one in this play that deals with like huge virile male energy and, mm. and stakes in that regard. You know what yeah. I mean? We're talking mm-hmm. swords. We're mm-hmm. talking, you know, like, I mean, we do get to Cesario's entrance um, into. Uh, things later i won't talk about it anyway uh but for the most part antonio while having this incredibly sensitive personal arc happening Mm -hmm. and being capable probably 
to an extent beyond anyone else in the play of devotion and true mm-hmm. actual, you know, mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the only one that's really dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, like he's, uh, he's, he's got that. And so that for us in the, in the imagery and stuff, that wolf having that kind of, mm-hmm. it was you know, that kind of a thing, you know, but um, let's stop talking about that. Why am I? No, I love. I want to see pictures. Are you kidding? I I I'll so send you wish. Guys some pictures. Uh, I gotta tell you, those actors just amazing. World I class. so wish I had world seen that production. Actors. And yeah. if this, you know, if we ever all get out of this dumb plague, then uh, then John, you and I need to restage that in Portland <laughs> because I can tell you that would be very very popular here in the burlesque scene for sure. <laughs> I I I think that's a fascinating fascinating concept. And I really like the idea of, you know, all furry jokes aside, people, uh, I like the idea of thinking about our concepts of animals and how they relate to specific characters. I can certainly see, you know, thinking about even just as an actor's exercise of thinking about a particular animal that might resonate with that definitely. character yeah. and yeah. i can definitely see antonio having that kind of wolf energy as part of him mm. uh, you know you can almost see viola as uh, maybe a bird or something right. you know like uh, all of them uh, maybe malvolio is um, just a really grumpy ass cat you well, know, he's it, got he's got a, <laughs> a puffy, proud kind of peacocky, mm. puff, 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 puff mm-hmm. kind of thing always going mm-hmm. on. Interestingly, and this was more, I think, uh, uh, I don't know if I ever have a therapist. I'm sure they'll have a field day with this. But um, Orsino uh, was not represented as an animal, but he was um, he had a dark uh, crow-like quality mm-hmm. to his his costume. He was uh, bare-chested very russell brand you know mm-hmm. kind of rock star like i said mm-hmm. um but uh constantly with feathers coming off of his nice nice this trail of feathers wherever he was constantly losing it and so it was it touched on the energy there but it didn't die mm-hmm. fully whereas with you know like the wolf character and all that but not just and i think the animals but then also in the physicality mm-hmm. in that representation it's it's really helpful when you think about, you know, as you're getting into where these characters are physically, mm-hmm. you know, living and a lot of them are, you know, uh, and there's a lot of appetites in this one, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, that really does help. And for actually, th- that's kind of fun because in our production for Orsino, I, I get everything so cheap. I would go to the Goodwill bins and I would <laughs> sort through their, you know, piles of curtains that you could get for like, you know, $2 a pound. Hence my studio here covered in the same red brocade <laughs> that I could not resist because it was so cheap. But I found these beautiful like teal turquoise curtains that were embroidered with peacock feathers. And we used that for Orsino's costume. And then a friend of mine also found at Goodwill a hat that was just covered in these beautiful peacock feathers. So Orsino very organically took on that kind of peacock energy. And mm. I, when stuff like that happens, it's, I feel like it's so fun. You, you know, you feel like the, the spirits or the sprites or whatever 
are with you when you're putting your production together. Oh, but you are so clearly not Irish. I would never put peacock feathers on stage. <laughs> Is that a bad luck thing? Oh, yeah. Wow. No, I am not Irish. Um, peacock if feathers I... are bad luck. It's the eye. The evil eye. Oh, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, I, I haven't, I, I knew there was something with that, but I, I haven't put them on Scotland over here. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, I, I have sensed this kind of dread superstition around it, but I didn't know specifically, uh, that it was, it was a stage thing. Mm -hmm. Well, but like, yeah, it's just, wow. in ancient Greece, the peacock was sacred to the goddess Hera, mm -hmm. and it was representative of you know, Hera being able to see everything everywhere. And, you know, we don't always want the gods watching everything we're doing. So <laughs> I can totally understand how that would be. But uh, in this case, it worked out just fine. Or Arsino did a lovely <laughs> job and there were no terrible accidents. Oh, so good. I'm glad. It all worked out. <laughs> Somebody was following behind him, sprinkling salt. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Alrighty, anything else that we want to say about this scene? It's it's uh, it's interesting because it's also um, sort of lyrically beautiful. It's poetic mm -hmm. and, and but not verse. Yeah, you know, it's it's very um, much so. The imagery is it's really in keeping with you know, kind of links back to that uh, first stuff with with Viola, mm -hmm. um, and just gorgeous. But um, but we're not there yet in terms of verse. You know, we haven't. We're, we're no, just setting it up. We're just in, setting it up. It's yeah. informal and romantic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. Can mm -hmm. be played so so many mm -hmm. ways. And again, this is this is the rule. Dear listeners out there, if you're uh, if you're the bearded, you know, type that maybe likes a sandwich uh, and a beer, this is the role for you, Antonio. <laughs> Not Tony. There are, Antonio. There are plenty of roles for people who like yeah. a sandwich and a beer, as has been right. proved throughout history and ninety percent of Shakespeare productions. So don't mm. you, don't you worry, folks. Well, and if you go through, you guys um, uh, out there listening, this and you can Google and get your get your Googler out and. They'll tell you all kinds of theories, but it is interesting to try to spot those roles. Shakespeare weaves them in and out um, mm -hmm. of his plays. They, they, the, the ones they say he, because he was an actor that mm -hmm. uh, he, that he delved into, and so I think that might also be a part of the charm here. Mm. Could be, could be, and so I want to make it real clear to our listeners because I, I don't know how clear I was in this scene. Antonio and Sebastian are on the beach. They are not necessarily shipwrecked. We don't get any indication that anything bad has happened to Antonio's ship, but they have landed on this island. Sebastian has explained to Antonio that he is not who he said he was and that he needs to try to find out what happened with his sister. He needs to get some, for, some, some closure, not foreclosure, that's something else. Hmm. He needs to get some closure and Sebastian wants to be with him but uh, I'm sorry, Antonio wants to be with him and Sebastian says, no, I think it's a bad idea because I've got a lot of bad luck and I don't want that to rub off on you. And then Antonio has to admit that actually this is not a great place for him to be because he's an enemy of the state. Does not without danger. What, what mm -hmm. is it? Uh, 
and then Sebastian leaves, leaving Antonio to say the gentle of all the gods go with thee. And then he says, yeah, I'm going to follow him anyway, because yep. I love him. And He buckles a swash, that guy. He, he buckles a swash. I love that phrase. That's wonderful. And the next scene that we go to, if uh, you folks remember, last time we saw Olivia, she was giving Malvolio a ring to give theoretically back to Cesario Viola. And that's where we'll head next in Act 2, Scene 2. Lovely. 